Schaefer, Chief Solution Architect of Public Sector at Intel. And welcome to Embracing Digital Transformation, where we investigate effective change leveraging people, process, and technology. On today's episode, Embracing Sustainability with Smart Buildings, with special guest Sonu Panda, CEO of Prescriptive Data. Sonu, welcome to the show. Thanks, Darren. Appreciate you having me on. Hey, this is really interesting. Before we get started in, in our topic today, let my audience know a little bit about yourself and your background. Sure. My name is Sonu Panda. I am the CEO of Prescriptive Data, and I feel like I have to answer a question that I know is already on everybody's mind, which is, is my last name really Panda? And the short version is, it is. It has been forever, although the therapies for me started in the fourth grade and continues to this day. <laughs> I, I, I've been trying really hard to say it correctly. It's, it's, it's Panda, right? Not Panda, Panda, right? It, it is, but, it, but I tell you, if you, say it, if you say it as Panda, you're almost guaranteed, I think on a 72, 73% success rate to be upgraded to first class. <laughs> when you're flying U.S. domestic carriers. So they're either feeling sorry for me or they think it's very funny. One, one of the two. Oh, that, that's awesome. Now, all right, origin of your last name. Where does it come from? Uh, I'm Well, I'm Indian, uh, born in India before I came to the States when I was just a, a day shy of turning two. Um, and the, in the eastern part of India, you'll, you'll find that there are lots of folks with a similar surname. It's a derivative of the word pundit, which of course means, you know, guru and, and whatnot, you know, as it's been transliterated into English, but ultimately means priest. Well, there you go. What a great name. Guru yeah, or priest. Well, wow, that's an awesome name. <laughs> I appreciate you saying that. You might be the only one that loves it, but uh, I appreciate you saying that nonetheless. No, no, I, I think that's great. So tell us a little bit about your background and how you, how you started uh, with your company. Well, I'm an enterprise software guy, and I have been forever, um, ever since graduating from undergrad. Um, and I found myself after having sold um, uh, my co-founder and I having sold our last company uh, with a lot of time on my hands. Um, uh, I guess you could say that I spent a lot of time and effort looking for just the right opportunity when in reality, uh, I took a year off to play Super Mario Brothers for the Nintendo Wii with my eight-year-old son. And to take my wife to lunch, I took her to lunch 48 days in a row. And on the 49th day, she said that I was becoming very irritating, uh, which is what led me to get serious about what I wanted to do in life. Uh, this was back in 2016. And I concluded that um, while I wanted to go back into the enterprise software space and uh, in particular, wanted to go find an opportunity to build a system of record, which is a you know particular approach to the enterprise software world that we think can be particularly uh, exciting and lucrative and all those kinds of things. But I also knew that I wanted to do something that was related to climate. Um, it's something that would be impactful, something that was bigger than myself, which is how I ended up at Prescriptive Data. Um, what, what a great story, right? I mean, your wife kicks you, kicks you out and says, go get a job. <laughs> That's what I just That's right. is, that, is that how it went? That's exactly right. <laughs> Emphasis on the on the being kicked part of it. Well, all right. Yes. Well, she got tired of having lunch with you every day. That's what it sounds like. That's right. That's exactly so, right. So tell me a little bit about the problem space. Um, COVID really, what's the best way to put this? COVID really was a catalyst for what you guys are, are doing in your space. 
which is intelligent building and intelligent our smart buildings and sustainability of, of, of office buildings, basically. Does that simplify it too much? I, I think that's right. Um, maybe I would add one or two dimensions to that. So there's no question that there has been an interest in making buildings smarter for some period of time. Um, and of course, there's terminology out there referring to you know smart buildings as an industry, um, and to give credit where credit is due, everything I ever learned about smart buildings, I learned from one of your colleagues, Rick uh, Lisa at Intel. Um, and, and to give credit where credit is also due, you know, much of that learning took place in the in the form of forums that that the market ready solutions, um, I guess you would call a business unit or function hosted. Um, but fast forwarding a little bit. This notion that buildings should be more efficient has been commonplace for now quite some time, but there absolutely have been two catalysts for what we think makes for a much, much more interesting industry. Um, One of them, without a doubt, is this spotlight on uh, indoor air quality, wellness as a whole, um, the interplay of going from home and into the office. And what does that mean, not only for productivity and, and use of space and all these kinds of things. But in addition to that, you now have compliance regimes that are specifically focused on what used to be just one sliver of the smart buildings rubric, which was this idea of you know energy demand management and energy cost reduction, which happens to also be highly correlated in a fossil fuel centric world with carbon or ideally decarbonization. Right. And so between those two trends, we think it's a particularly exciting time to be in, in, in this particular business. You know, when, when, you first, when we first started talking, I heard smart buildings. The first thing that popped into my mind was not energy efficiency, was not those things. First thing that popped into my mind is Big Brother with cameras watching and controlling the people in the building. And you got you guys opened my mind up to wait. Buildings themselves are these living, breathing things. They've got HVAC. I've got elevators. I've got you know people move people movement um, and electric lights on. And there's a whole bunch involved in these buildings. They're very complex. And I, I like that you guys are you guys are doing all of the things that we all take for granted. I I take for granted that. The building's not going to be too cold when I walk in um, and and not too hot, right? And there's different areas that have different temperature. It's, it's, it's very much more complex than I think most people realize. Yeah, I think that's absolutely true. I'd love to take the credit for ensuring that at any given time in any part of the country, if not the world, if you were to walk into a building that you would encounter perfectly conditioned environments that are safe and healthy and the list goes on. But the reality of it is we're at the beginning of what ultimately is a going to be a very long journey in a really big market. Um, you, you may have heard sound bites, which reference to the fact that reference the fact that the real estate industry is the world's you know, biggest industry in terms of, of um, you know, value. Um, certainly, you know, we're in buildings, whether it be our single family homes or apartments or what have you, or whether it be in the office all the time. Um, and I would argue that while we're at the beginning of our journey, we will get to a place where you can expect that every building will have the kind of technology that we're providing to the marketplace. 
because people are demanding comfort, people are demanding safety, and people are demanding flexibility when it comes to where they do their work, how they do their work, and the environments within which they do that work. You know, this reminds me of something that was uh, really cool back in the 90s, early early 2000s. I'm sorry, early 2000s. I went to a building in Edinburgh, just outside of Edinburgh. It was considered one of the first smart buildings uh, for high tech. And mm. I was working for the company Cadence Design Systems at the time. Sure. And the building was automatic. It was super cool. You're in um, Edinburgh. So they use a lot of natural light coming in. But um, to cool the building off, you couldn't have direct sunlight coming in. So on all the glass ceilings that they had, they had these louvers that would go back and forth. And the louvers were reactive. So they weren't smart. They were, oh, if a cloud comes in, then open the louvers and let more natural light in. If the sun's shining down, then close them. It was the craziest thing I'd ever seen because we'd be sitting there working and you could hear the louvers go clomp, clomp. Mm. And <laughs> if clouds were just passing through the sun, you would hear clomp, 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 clomp. You know, not not smart, right? Just yeah. reactive. Um, right. Now we've got some really cool technology that can can be much more intelligent, not just with HVAC, but with things like blinds and, and reactive windowing and, and all this really crazy cool stuff. Yeah, well, and I tell you that the example you just shared is clearly a function of improvement in terms of the hardware kit that's at the heart of those particular outcomes. But one of the things that we're most excited about that ultimately is the single most important enabler for our business um, is the, the notion of going from rules-based or trigger-based systems to truly thoughtful, always-on um and ultimately autonomous AI and ML in buildings. Okay. So, so explain to me a little bit then around this, what does that bring to me that I have AI now in the building where before yeah. it's reactive, right? I count the number of people coming in and I change the thermostats. What would be different with an AI enabled building or a smart, yeah. a smart building? What would that be like? What, um, describe that. Yeah, so an AI and ML equipped building is one in which there are um, just vastly more opportunities for optimization. Now, optimization can take lots of different forms and can exist, obviously, for different reasons. Energy efficiency just happening to be one of them. And what goes hand in hand with that is a whole bunch of other benefits as well. Um, but our view is rather than trying to build cause and effect based systems, um, which we would argue is not only antiquated, but also not particularly scalable. What we should do instead is create a highly normalized, highly actionable data set that is based on um, primarily the data exhaust of a given building, but combine it with augmentation from additional instrumentation like IoT sensors, bring in data from third party and you know, uh, integral and interested stakeholders for example, the local utility, um, you know, real-time weather data, and then combine that with existing data sets that an organization might already have. A great example of which would be 
um, you know, work order systems and all the data and metadata that's associated with particular action being taken in the past in response to a particular situation. Taken in aggregate, this represents a phenomenal opportunity for us to apply AI and ML technologies to identify opportunities. Okay, so I'm going to reiterate what I think um, I heard you say. Yeah. AI ML doesn't rely just on the data in the building. It relies on the data in the building and can be augmented with other external things to the building that will influence the number of people coming in the building, the number of people leaving, um, yep. the weather outside, or maybe even if I'm in a big city like New York City and uh, the subways are delayed for some reason, maybe there's a breakdown in the subways, that's going to affect the flow of people coming into my building dramatically. Um, yep. So you, what you're talking about is really reaching out beyond the walls of of uh, the building itself and doing it in an intelligent way. That's what I, I think I heard. Is that right? Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. And, and I go a step further, which is the amount of data that exists within buildings um, far ex and the pace at which that data set is growing far exceeds any given human's ability to make sense of it in real time and to take action on it in real time. And yet the opportunities for optimization are happening in real time. Put another way, every time that you consume, you know, more energy than you need to, or that you, um, you know, consume uh, uh, fossil fuel-based fuels when you could have, you know, consumed a renewable electron, is a missed opportunity, a lost opportunity for forever. And so our view is that we need to be able to do a couple of things. First and foremost, surface through a very in interactive, intuitive, almost video game-like experience, um, and very easily what's happening across the real estate that a particular owner or operator is responsible for, whether it be an individual space within a building, a building itself, or an entire portfolio. So that's the first thing. The second thing, or that's sort of job one. Job number two is to identify negative patterns and surface them to the building operator such that they can, they understand what's happening that is uh, less than ideal. They understand the causality and ideally they can dampen or attenuate that trend as quickly as possible. The third thing that we're looking to do is to identify positive patterns, help them help building operators understand what gave rise to that particularly you know, positive pattern, ideally repeat, if not amplify. And then lastly, when a sense of comfort has been created between building operators uh, and ourselves is to enable prescriptive data as AI and ML to take control of the environment autonomously and in real time to constantly deliver these optimizations. Of course, subject to override, of course, with lots of visualization to help building operators understand what's happening, but ultimately to extend their natural intuition such that their intuition can be applied in a real-time basis, on a real-time basis, you know, regardless of the particular types of equipment at hand, the kind of data that's you know, keying us into the opportunity, et cetera, et cetera. So this is really interesting because you guys are using a kind of a form of reinforced learning with the AI, because there's an operator still working it and the AI is like augmenting their work. Is that right? And then the AI yeah, is learning from the way the operators are, are working the building. Is that correct? Uh, it, that is generally correct. Um, but I would add to it that there's a tremendous amount of building science of course, physics, as well as um, uh, sort of operational protocol um, uh, understanding that we bring to the table. Um, you know, we may not have 
shared with you on our previous call that we have a particularly unique backstory. Um, and the story is, is that unlike a typical technology company built in somebody's garage, we were built by the building operators that run uh, the Rudin management uh, portfolio in New York City. Uh, it's one of the largest privately held real estate portfolios in New York City that the landlords of pretty demanding customers, folks like Blackstone, AIG, the NFL, they built the Thomson Reuters building. Um, they're used to um, you know, high value real estate, real estate that is complex and demanding tenants. And so everything that we've, we bring to the table is very much infused by I don't know how many man years or person years, I should say, of experience is represented by their operating team. And of course, that was only the beginning. We seek to partner and collaborate very closely with our existing customers uh, and our new customers to make sure that their know-how, their particular operating protocols are represented um, in the data and in the AI and ML. So this is this is really cool because you took subject matter experts in building operations. It sounds like they are. I mean, if they're managing huge portfolios in New York City, they know how to manage buildings. So you took their expertise, trained AI ML models on on optimizations already. So that's a really that's a really insightful way of getting a new company started, right? Because a lot of times guys like you and I I'm a software engineer too, right? I, I'm a subject matter expert in nothing really important, just software. So you guys brought in SMEs that understood the business and you married them with some software that helped replicate themselves in some, in some respect. Right. Yeah, that's absolutely true. Although I should give credit where credit is due. It, this was not necessarily ex, it, just a case of bringing those SMEs into the mix. It's quite the opposite. The SMEs are the ones that dreamt up what ultimately oh, has become awesome. prescriptive data. That's awesome. They did it because they had their own challenges that they wanted to address, and they felt that these were the tools with which to address them. And so we very much view our, our DNA as being we were built you know, for building operators by building operators. And it just happens to be that um, uniquely so in the real estate industry, these are a set of building operators that are backed by owners and operators that are particularly open-minded about um, sharing uh, what they've learned, distributing it in the form of software, ensuring that you know the benefits that they've received um, are widely enjoyed. So it's everything from you know, that particular portfolio um, very early on in, in our history was uh, measured and verified by NYSERDA, the New York State Energy and Research Development Authority, to have saved five and a half million bucks a year in recurring savings, persistent savings which on the one hand, if you care about dollars and cents, represents a pretty significant underlying oh, value appreciation. But if you care about um, climate and you care about the impact of reducing energy and being able to then set yourself up to start you know, transitioning to renewable energy sources, now all of a sudden our mission is much less smart building oriented and much more climate tech um, let's have an impact for not only owners and operators, but the tenants that are in the building and for the employees ultimately. That's that's super, that's super cool. Um, I, I love where that's coming. Now, all right, a, another big question with AI and with uh, cybersecurity, we're talking about a building now, right? That um, has 
I would call it critical infrastructure in it. I mean, I'm running machines, right? There's machines that are being controlled by the building. Is there, tell, tell me what you guys have done around cybersecurity in this space. Cause that's a big, I, that's a big problem. And the first thing that comes to my mind is diehard, right? <laughs> sure. Right. Cause they, sure. they, they hijacked a building, right? <laughs> they, they took over a building, right? So what's going to prevent someone from doing that to these smart buildings, these concepts of smart buildings, and what have you yeah. guys put in place to help detect and prevent those those types of uh, attacks? Um, it really comes down to something that you mentioned earlier, where you described you, you know you and me, rightfully so, as being you know software engineers that are are bringing a solution to market, but perhaps not necessarily having the same provenance and experience right. and 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 applied know how that you would receive from a, um, you know, from a SME, as you said, if, if I'm paraphrasing correctly. Um, our logic is, is along those same lines um, that we should be learning and uh, paying attention very keenly to the requirements of our customers. So the benefit that we have, having been born within a you know, really prominent real estate organization, is that, you know, the nature of our customers is that they are large, They've got lots of different types of real estate, but they're also extremely sophisticated when it comes to cybersecurity um, protocol and um, technology. And so we, you know, we continue to do this from the point of view of always being tested every time we go through a due diligence exercise with a potential would-be buyer. But that hides the fact that you know, everything we know and everything that we've infused into the software from a cybersecurity standpoint, we learned from a collaborative potential customer. Um, JP Morgan Chase, the world's largest bank, um, obviously has an extraordinarily um, diligent assessment process that they take, that they took us through, that they take, you know, companies through. By the same token, we are incredibly grateful for the opportunity to participate in, in a program that's called the Green Proving Ground Program that's run by the U.S. Uh, GSA in collaboration with the U.S. Department of Energy. Um, and it's one that, as you might guess, starts with an extraordinarily um, deep assessment from a cyber standpoint as to you know, what we've built, how we've built it, the protocols we use, um, how regularly we evaluate ourselves. Um, we go through you know, regular audits with both of those organizations, et cetera, et cetera. And so rather than you know, go off into a cave um, thinking that we're going to be able to um, anticipate every potential threat, you know, we've allied ourselves with organizations that are you know, experts in the kinds of threats that exist, the kind of, you know, the, the pace at which they're evolving. Um, and where the bad guys are headed next. Um, and it's a constant effort. It's one that costs us a lot of money, takes a lot of effort, but it's one that we think obviously is super critical in terms of the integrity of the product. Well, it, it sounds like you guys are doing it right, building security in up front, uh, which is important because uh, I've seen, I mean, one of the most famous hacks in the last decade was the Target HVAC hack, right? Yep. Uh, where they came through the HVAC system and got access to credit cards, um, which why the HVAC is connected to the credit card processing, who knows, but they figured out a way uh, to get in. So it's good that you guys are thinking about those things up front. 
Um, tell us a little bit more about descriptive data, how people can, can get in contact with, uh, with you and what, what, how do they engage with you guys? It, it sounds like it's not, I just buy this software and deploy it to my building and it works. It sounds like it's a more engagement model. Yeah, it's, um, uh, I think what I would argue is a relatively tried and trusted approach, which is um, obviously if you get beyond the phase of customers finding us and us finding customers, um, you know, our engagement is one in which we try and understand the makeup of a particular building or a ideally portfolio of buildings. Um, we provide some diagnostics on where we think the opportunities are, and that becomes the basis for a commercial discussion around the potential benefits that we're going to be able to provide, the payback within which we're able to provide it, um, and the cost at which we'll deliver these services. Um, the payback is typically less than a year, uh, which I think is an important um, theme. It's one that's based on hard dollar savings, primarily energy demand management savings, but also um, the risk management benefits of being able to avoid the fines that are implied by um, new found or, or, or newly introduced compliance regimes. And so um, hard dollar, black and white ROI, less than one year payback in most instances. And then we're talking about augmentation of the existing equipment in a building if it's required in order to achieve the outcomes. Um, all of which I would summarize by saying we do a study we make sure we get the customer's buy off of that study. There typically is a project management onboarding effort. And then ultimately within eight to 10 weeks, you know, customers are using Nantum and getting recommendations in real time at the building operator level. They don't necessarily have to replace any of their HVAC systems or it, I can plug your Nantum software, Nantum OS, I think. Is that the right term? Yep. I can plug that into the current um, systems that I already have. It's going to learn from those systems. Does it require hardware? Does it require me purchasing new things? Or can I run it off of what I currently have? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, I'm feeling a little bit silly that I didn't lead with that. So thank you for the prompt. Um, overwhelmingly we have this unfair advantage, which is that we've been spending a lot of time building a massive driver library that enables us to very seamlessly interconnect with all kinds of operational technology, as well as you know, meet in the cloud via API with IoT sensor providers, such that you have very little lift from a level of effort standpoint and very little risk from an integration standpoint connecting to the existing kit that you have within a building or across a portfolio. So you're absolutely spot on that that is a solved problem from our point of view. If, if, you know, more than anything else, we're just making sure that there's um, understanding, training and alignment with the stakeholders that'll be running the system within their buildings. So that's pretty cool. I mean, it, it means I can get up very quickly, even if, maybe even if you don't support a certain uh, PLC that I have. Um, you're going to support a majority of them. So I'll be able to get some information. Um, but how long does it take it? If I have maybe an older system, maybe it's 30 year old elevator or, um, or um, dampening system in my HVAC, how, how long would it take to, to do some custom work for that? Or it completely depends. Or would you say, uh, we wouldn't do that. We would upgrade. I mean, are those all different options? 
Um, they are all theoretically options. That being said, most folks are investing in, you know, upgrading that kit to begin with, in which case we then are presented with a more modern interface. Um, that being said, in those instances where that's not possible or a particular type of kit, um, you know, needs to remain in place, there are a couple of different workarounds, one of which is there are many IoT sensors that are deriving the same telemetry, but in a very different way. Um, you know, from, from that existing equipment. So that's stuff that, that that's an option. Um, but for the most part, what you're describing is not a scenario that we encounter anymore. The vast mm-hmm. majority of, of buildings that we encounter have reasonably up-to-date kit. Um, they're at least uh, communicating on, um, relatively speaking, recent protocols. Um, and so uh, this is, for the most part, from our point of view, a solved problem. Oh, that's that's awesome. Um, so how how do people get in contact with with you or or the company if they want to learn more? Yeah, well, generally speaking, um, you know, we we try and put as much effort as we can into our own marketing and, of course, our own um, uh, enterprise class selling. Uh, but uh, knowing who the audience is uh, for this particular call. Um, I'm particularly excited because of the targeted nature of, of our message, which is uh, we're, we have been involved for now almost five years with the USGSA's GPG program, largely because the GSA represents plus or minus the single largest centrally managed real estate uh, you know, operation uh, in the world. And also, as you may know, or some of the folks that are listening might know, um, operate the GSA schedules program, which is the procurement um, you know, platform against which everyone that's in the sled world can buy off of, everyone that's within the you know, state level can buy off of. And we happen to have a GSA contract number as well, meaning we're listed in the GSA catalog as something that if you're part of the GSA schedules program, you can buy directly off of um, pre-negotiated pricing uh, as well as um, uh, you know, a whole bunch of material that you can pull down or that your sellers is, and clients can pull down um, from the respective portals that the GSA operates. That's awesome. So the GSA descriptive data, or they can go to descriptivedata.com. Is that correct? Uh, it's prescriptivedata.io. .io, um, prescriptivedata.io. So, so starting with a P, P, P for Panda. P for uh, at the beginning of that. Not panda. But prescriptive P for data, priest not or guru. That's right. That's right. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. But yeah, absolutely. And then and then by the same token, there are a bunch of stakeholders that, uh, of course, I hope they know that we're incredibly appreciative of them because they've been, um, you know, they've been uh, coaches uh, and provided guidance really since we started the business. Um, people like Rick, Lisa, and others um, at Intel that know a lot about us. That you know, I've got my phone number in their in their phone, um, and with whom, if we can connect with folks that are out in the field, we can very quickly go from initial conversations to really targeted campaigns for the folks that um, are are in your mandate. That's great. Hey, uh, Sonu, thank you for coming on the show today. This has been insightful. I've learned a lot. Um, I want to put it in my house. Because uh, my electric bill is too high, and I know it's because my kids are leaving lights on all over the place. Well, <laughs> I, I need something to. I, I, I don't. Do I want to put a switch in a smart switch or something that just yells at the kids when they don't turn the light off? I, I'm trying. That's to funny. Well, well, the latter is certainly cheaper. 
yeah. uh, <laughs> in, 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 in the near term. But I too can't wait for us to turn our attention to Nansen for single family homes. Um, you know, we've, we've begun the, um, the, you know, we've, we've begun the traverse from commercial office into other asset classes like multifamily resi. And we talked to lots of warehouse operators, but I too can't wait for when we're going to be able to do this in single family homes. That'd be super cool. Hey, thanks again, Sonu. Darren, great to meet you. Thanks so much. Thank you for listening to Embracing Digital Transformation today. If you enjoyed our podcast, give it five stars on your favorite podcasting site or YouTube channel. You can find out more information about Embracing Digital Transformation at embracingdigital.org. Until next time, go out and do something wonderful.